Agents Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Power ISA, the industry experts in real estate ISAs. Get more appointments. Make sure your follow-up gets done on time and you get the most out of your leads. Get a great ISA for real estate on your team and watch the results roll in. Power ISA has served over 1,200 agents in the U.S. and Canada since 2015, and it's the one-stop shop for everything you need to get a great inside sales agent on your team. Whether it's setting appointments with your internet leads or making outbound prospecting calls to help you get more listings, Power ISA can get it done for you. Visit PowerISA.com forward slash LCA to get started. That's PowerISA.com forward slash LCA. You know, in today's real estate world, the idea of having to stage a house or really even get it ready to sell or condo for that matter, isn't really high on the list of importance because all you have to do is put a for sale sign in the yard and the thing is going to sell. However, these times are not going to last forever. So understanding the importance of staging a property, right? And then leading to the negotiation aspect of it are going to become critically important again. So if you are forgetting those skills, you're forgetting the importance of, of using that in your business. Well, we're going to help you. We're going to help remind you about that today with our guest, Deanna Corey, who's based out of Manhattan, New York, over 37 years or almost 37 years of, of experience, over 30 years of experience in staging. She's closed over two billion in residential real estate in Manhattan. We don't often get guests in the Northeast. So this is very cool and exciting to have you, Deanna. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. So first off, let's learn about you. Uh, Tell us about, I I mentioned, obviously some statistics, but tell us about you. How did you kind of get your start in the business? What led you to where you are today? That's a good question. Well, I I was a classical musician of all places, of all things. Um, I was studying in a conservatory and I was a bassoonist. And for those of you who don't know what the bassoon is, well, uh, it's one of the larger woodwind instruments. And I decided I was going to uh, try and become a professional. But in the back of my mind, I always wanted to do business. And I have a grandmother who was a real estate tycoonist in the 1920s in Chicago, a woman real estate agent who who opened her own company in the 20s in Chicago on the North Shore of Chicago. So I told you I have Midwest roots. There's Chicago again. And she did. She was developing the whole North Shore of Chicago and she did very well. She was all the papers and then the depression struck and she left and she didn't stay. But I have a history in my family of, of real estate. So not only her, but I have an uncle who was a big developer in Florida and Miami. And my parents were involved in real estate a little bit peripherally. And so at the end of the day, when I was, I finished my classical music training and I decided after studying with the top person that I didn't want to go into become a professional musician. I decided I was going to go into the business end because I was wanting to go into business of music. So I, where else could I go but New York? So I ended up in New York for the classical music business, but I was making zero, like so little, I could not live in New York. So it was either, you know, go into some sort of business, which was always my dream. And I applied to both Columbia and NYU, got into both, got a scholarship, but started in real estate in June of 1985. And I sold my first apartment in July of 1985. 
I wanted to make 100,000 my first year, I made 90,000 my first year. So I was clearly cut out for this business. <laughs> Just maybe the background, maybe hearing about it, whatever it is. So it's always been, it feels like it's been in my blood, needless to say. And I sort of accidentally ended up in New York because of the classical music world. But I love it. And it's a very different world. But as I told you, I'm actually originally from Michigan and Indiana. So I feel like I'm a Midwesterner at heart. So even though I'm here in New York for most of my adult life. It's awesome. Yeah, you do not have an accent, uh, no. a, a New York accent. So that's, uh, there, that's telling. Yeah. I love yeah, it. I love it. So that's interesting. It's, you know, the, the common segue of uh, classical music into real estate, right? That's very common in, in the industry, of course. Uh, let me, you, let me ask you this. You, really? <laughs> no, I'm totally joking. I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah, it's completely different. <laughs> yeah. I, but, but I know nothing about that industry. What does someone do, you know, you move to New York, where, where does someone end up if they make a career out of classical music? Well, if you're not a professional musician and you want to work on the business end of it, you're either an agent for classical musicians or you did what I did, which was public relations for classical musicians. Now, that is the teeniest of teeny fields. And I worked for a wonderful woman. I hope she hears this podcast. She's just terrific. And she's still doing it. And she taught me so much about self-promotion in a very elegant and very intellectual way. And I thought, wow, I've got these skills now that I can use to promote myself. And, you know, when you promote classical musicians, it's not like you're promoting a car or something else. It's not flashy. It's very understated. And I, that's who I am anyway. So it worked out really well. And when I went into the business, I started by using some of the things I've learned in, in, in the public relations field for this, you know, classical musician. So it was actually a very positive thing for me. Yeah. So tell, tell us a little bit more about that. So, you know, that, that, what you said was that, you know, that, that self-promotion, which is, which is that fine line. Uh, we talk about this all the time and now, especially in this world, like back in, you know, the, the late eighties, it's nothing like what it is today with, right, exactly. with social media <laughs> and right. And so it's, it, and, and I think a lot of agents in general struggle with the concept of self-promotion because they've almost feel like it's, it's narcissistic, you know, it's, it's, ah, I don't want to talk about myself. And, and in the reality that they they're just hampering and hindering their own business if by not getting over that. Right. And right. so yeah. talk a little bit about what that was then and maybe what it what you're doing. What today. it is now. What yeah. it is now. Yeah. It's interesting because I went to Oberlin, which is in the Midwest <laughs> in Ohio. And it's a very, again, it's sort of a very liberal, very sort of everybody at Oberlin goes into not-for-profit. They don't go into business generally. I mean, there's about 10% of the population that goes into some sort of business or law, maybe medical. And so it's a very, you know, when I left and I went into business, uh, I sort of felt like I'd sold out, especially when I went into real estate. So I was totally anti self-promotion because I was like, I can't do that. But I, you have to be who you are, right? You have to be authentic. And I, that's what they talk about in social media. But I felt that from the day I got into real estate. So what my strength is, and you have to look for your strength, right? What my strength is, I decided early on that in New York, there were no such thing as newsletters back in 1985. And here I was just in the business, okay? But having written a lot about um, public relations, about musicians and everything, I decided that I would use that strength and I would write on my observations about the market, okay? Now, my observations about the market back then 
were valid because they were my observations. And so it didn't mean that they were true or, or necessarily, but I could say, this is what I'm observing. This is what I was doing. So I decided to start a newsletter, which started as a real letter with just my observations about what was going on. And I realized because of public relations that I needed to be absolutely consistent. So I was really dedicated to doing four of those letters a year in the beginning. And it was a growing base of people who I'd met. And um, it's been extremely successful for me. And I still write it to this day. But I will say that that's my forte. It's not for everyone. You know, not everybody can do that. But one of the things for me, and this is me personally, I learned from one of my clients who was one of the started the people who um, founded or started Comedy Central. She, I was selling her apartment and she wasn't that big. It just was starting. It was like not even like popular back then. She said, oh, you should do what the Wall Street Journal does when they want to sell subscriptions. And that is give people information that they need to know. And that was right up my alley because that's what I love to do. So I decided that I would be giving people information about what they need to know in the business, which I know people do, but I did it again in my own writing, in my perspective. And I was early in the game, to be honest with you. Nobody else was doing it back then. So it was very helpful to me. And, and I continue to do that. I, I believe that you know imparting knowledge and educating people for me is very important. And that's an authentic voice for me. So um, I always started that way and it's really um, helped my business. But I'm a big marketer in the sense that I will use whatever I do and sort of shout it from the rooftops and sort of do other things like, I, you know, I, I can go on about what I do for self-promotion. But that was the beginning of it. And still, even if you look at my social media, I mean, if you look at my YouTube channel, you'll see for years I did the videos that you now see on social media, you see on Instagram, you see on Facebook. I was always doing informational videos back before it was as popular as it is now. So that's me. And I think it worked for me. Now, everybody else may have a different, you know, tact or a different interest, or that may not be the way they want to do it. But again, finding what's authentic and something that you can provide, that's how I would see it, to your buying public or your selling public is what I would be, you know, personally looking for. That's what I think has worked very, very well. So now today I just carry it over into um, social media. And I will say I was probably a little behind on social media. So my more recent social media is a bit better than my previous social media because social media is, is about images, as you know, and presentation and beautiful pictures and all that kind of stuff. And that's a little bit antithetical to what I am. <laughs> But I've had no choice. Um, you sort of have to go with the flow. And I do what I can to make everything gorgeous and pretty and, you know, look bit larger than life. I mean, I know we've all, we all look at each other's social media and say, oh, my God, they're doing so well. And then you hear at the end of the year, I haven't done so well. So you just do, I mean, you do what you can. And again, try to be as authentic as possible, because I think that comes across, you know? Yeah. Yeah, uh, it's interesting, and you kind of just segued to the to another topic, which which we obviously this was kind of a, a focal point, which is you know you mentioned the social media and making things look right. you know at, at the best, right? And although I think that has evolved and changed quite a bit, because I think authenticity is really taking hold, and social media is becoming a place where a lot of people are finding success with telling their true story and, and not always being rainbows and puppy dogs. And now, you know, it's, it's, you know, people, that reality, I think actually 
is more resonating with an audience. But as you talk about, you know, putting your best foot forward, which is still important. And it's very important with your business, especially personally, I think it's better to be authentic with your business. It's all about best foot forward. And that leads us into staging, which again, I mentioned, you know, how important is it now that probably not nearly as important. You don't even have time to stage a place uh, by the time it's getting offers. Right. But this is not, this is cyclical, right? It's, it's going to come, it's going to go and, and, and it's going to, it's going to ebb and flow. So, Let's talk about that because I believe I read that, or you maybe you know you told me that you might have been, if you weren't, the first person to stage a condo or apartment in Manhattan. Uh, so clearly, you had a premonition, and clearly, you do it well. So, tell us about that. So, well, I was um, in the business a lot of years, and I, my goal is always to achieve the highest possible sales price for a seller. And um, it's just, I'm just dedicated to that. And, and, and I believe in that because I think that's part of my value. So I had a vacant apartment that I was selling. Um, she moved her mother out um, and we painted it. We just vacated it, painted it. And every time people would come in and it was asking, I think 1.495. Now in Manhattan, this goes back 20 years. That was on Central Park West. It was like prime real estate. And it was a three bedroom, but a small three bedroom. Um, and the third bedroom was very small and there was no dining room. So people would always come in and they would say, well, you know, where third bedroom so small and where do I eat and the whole thing. And I um, it was vacant and it was nice. And I knew the people and I wanted to do well. And we didn't get any offers. We lowered it to one, three, nine, five. And we kept getting one, two, seven, five. We could not get people over one, two, seven, five. And I said to her, if you want to get one, three, you know, I've heard about the staging and I think it's a really great idea. So let's do it. So I, um, she was game. So for that time, $10,000, I went to a rental furniture company, rented the furniture, placed it. And I brought in all my own accessories and everything. This goes back 20 years. And within one week, what do you think I got? Uh, over, over asking. Oh, well, way over asking. Really? Asking 1.5. Well, wow. that sold me on stage, sold her on staging. That was 225000 for a $10,000 investment. And I started to do it on a regular basis. And I did it myself because no one was doing it back then. Um, and I used to go in. I used to change things around. And I'll tell you some of the tricks of the trade because that's what I did. But it is very useful when you, if nothing else around you is staged or if not very much is staged, you stand out. You become, uh, it becomes a better, better place. It, it, it makes people feel better about the place when they walk into the uh, a home or the apartment or whatever it is that you're selling. And my whole goal with staging, even back then, was I want a person to walk. Right now, in the Midwest, in the West, in a lot of places, not as much in New York, to be frank, everything's selling. So it's, like you said, the need for staging may not be as great, but it won't last forever. I'm doing this too long you know, know that there's going to be a down cycle as well at some point. So um, in those cases, you want to stand out or you want to at least be as good as the next home or next apartment that's on the market that's a similar price range and so forth. So, and in New York, it's caught on so well that I would say almost everything is staged. If not everything, I think at least 80% of the properties out there that aren't already beautiful are staged. So in New York, it's become absolutely a necessity because you stand out as a uh, uh, something that needs work or isn't as attractive if you don't stage. 
So it's a, it's a sort of a reverse thing. It used to be that people would sort of say, ah, you don't need to stage, whatever. But now there's really a drive and there are tons of staging companies and so forth. But in houses, I mean, just to, uh, you know, I sold my parents' home in, 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 in Miami, Miami area, um, where, which was my childhood home. And I had a cousin who was helping me and then another person. And I tried, um, this goes back about four or five years ago, and I tried to help them get me staged. And there were very few staging companies in four or five years ago. Now it's changed. And I was really disappointed in what result came through because people, it wasn't the same because there weren't as many companies. Now I think it's become a bigger, a bigger industry. But there's a lot you can do as an agent to stage yourself. And I have what I call my staging closet, which has a zillion pillows and has a zillion flowers silk flowers and has accessories so we and i don't know if you want me to talk about this but i'm happy to like sort of give my little pointers my little tips so so my goal is to have someone walk in the door and say wow i like this i want that reaction so i always think about that when i walk in the door and what i try to do is first i go and when i'm pitching the listing i see the property and so forth and i look around and I have a, a, a pretty good eye for, I know how I feel when I walk into a property. A lot of times people walk in and say, oh, this needs work, or oh, this isn't attractive, right? We've all had that, right? Have you had that when you walk into a home? Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. So when I have that, I look for ways that I can create more of a wow sensation, more of a, I, or a, not, if not wow, I like this. You know, I like this. You know, it doesn't have to be a wow. It could be, I, I like this. So. I want to see where I can affect that. So what we, what I started to do is understand that there are a few things that make a difference. Obviously, decluttering, we all know decluttering is very important. So minimalist, relatively speaking, and a lot of people have a lot of stuff. We all know that um, not only is you know less clutter and less things to distract the eye important, but furniture placement is important. And I know that this is something not everybody is really familiar with, but you know, if you want some, a place to look large, you have to um, place the furniture so that the, you know, especially in the living room, especially in the first room you walk into, which is often you walk into maybe a foyer or whatever, an entryway and vestibule, mm-hmm. and you walk into your living room, right? So the living room is usually your most important touch point. I mean, I like to say the living room is the most important, and the prime, we call it the primary bedroom is the most important, but you want to also end with something like however you take, you're not taking people through the houses. You know, here we take everyone through our apartments because it's New York City and it's apartments. So every single showing that I do on the house, I have to do when I handle an exclusive listing. So we learn how to take people through, but you're going to be giving, you know, lock boxes and that sort of thing. So when people walk through, you want them to have a positive experience as they as they can in each room. So what I like to do is to make sure that, again, you've got this more minimalist. For example, if you're walking into a living room, I don't like walking into the back of a sofa. All right. That cuts a room in half. These are just little pointers. Now, where's the television that you may say, I mean, if it's a perfect place for the television, what are you going to do? I like a room to be open so you have a lot of floor space and you see, because that makes everything look larger. And um, I'm just giving a few, oh, there are always exceptions to these rules. They're just ideas. 
And I like it to have, I like a living room to have a lot of seating. So I don't like it when there's not a lot of seating because depending on how big the house or the apartment is, this is a place that people often want to either entertain or what have you. And having seating is going to be an important thing. I also like, there's this whole idea that is a, that is a very New York thing. And so you're going to forgive me for being Northeast in this. It's about feng shui. Do you know what feng shui is? Have you heard of it? I've heard of it, but tell, okay. tell us. Well, I'll just say it's a Chinese, you know, we get a lot of people from East Asia and it's a Chinese uh, form of uh, flow of energy is what it is. And so in China, they look to make sure that everything sort of flows. And so that's why I'm talking about like a room where you're not being cut off by a sofa, for example. It's a very, it's actually, when you think about the concept of feng shui, and I'm sorry, I'm getting into something really esoteric, but it is, you know, it's a concept that just is like energy flow. So if you walk in and you're stopped by a sofa or you're walked in and you're stopped, you walk right into a dining table. It's not a good feeling. You know, you want to, you want to feel open when you walk in. We often talk about having three feet of space when you walk through a place where there are two pieces of furniture. If you have to go in between like a dining area and a living room, you want to have at least three feet of space. So it feels more spacious. These are, these are just, I could go on and on and on. The other thing you want to do is have proper lighting. Lighting is very important. It affects how people feel. And even if you don't notice it, start thinking about it. Right now, there are a lot of energy efficient bulbs out there. And I feel, and I notice how people feel, that when you have what we call a soft white light bulb or maybe a daylight light bulb, it's more of a natural light. It's more of what people are used to. But when you have bulbs that have like a green cast or a blue cast to it, they're very cold, like the old fluorescent lighting, but now it's energy efficient lighting. It's it, it feels cold. It doesn't feel as welcoming. And these are minor things that you can take care of. And sometimes people put different color bulbs in one room. So you'll come in and it'll feel off and you won't quite know what it is, but you can put easy fix. You put soft white light bulbs in every you know lamp around the uh, room. You put the highest wattage that you can. And then often I'm bringing in uh, stand-up uh, lamps, you know, floor lamps to create more light. That uh, They're these very inexpensive, reasonable lights. And I'll, I can send it to you, and it's an, on Amazon, and they're called Brightech, B-R-I-G-H-T-T-E-C-H. And um, they're really good. They're like $69, and they shed a huge amount of light. They're very small, and they're just a great way to create light in the space if, you're, if the place is not light. Um, and so everything is really um, bright and, and, and nice when you walk in. And the other thing that I do, and I make sure that there's light that is all around the room. So if you have a light source from a window, I just make sure that when you enter, you have a feeling of light and that there are what, what I call points of light around the room. Because again, it makes the room feel larger. It makes the room feel more spacious. And those things are very important. The other thing, and this is the last thing I'll say about you know, creating, well, I can say a lot, so I'll say a couple of things, but I also like in some cases to have greenery in the room, life in the room, you know, either flowers or perhaps plant, even a, even a silk plant or a fake plant. But I often like to have the eye, let's say you enter into a living room and you either enter into the center often or you enter into a side. I want, I want to have the eye travel as far as it can. I want the I want something noticeable in one or both corners, but the most obvious corner. 
So if you enter on the left side of a rectangular room, I want the eye to go to the right corner, far right corner. So I either want a light there, a plant there, or a wonderful, colorful pillow on a sofa there. I mean, again, it has to fit with the decor. So I want, I just want the eye to travel very far so that the room and the space feels as large as it can feel. So I don't know. Those are sort of what I do. I don't know if that's helpful to people, but it is. No, I think that's fantastically helpful because a lot of what you just described is not hiring a company. It's something they can do. Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that's fascinating, but I had one question. So obviously there's, there's, you know, you talked about, you know, when you walk in, don't be cut off. Right. That's important. You talked about like even the, what, what did you call it? F- fin- Feng Shui. Feng Shui. I, I can spell it right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, but I think that's important. I mean, it doesn't matter if you have a large, you know, buying population of Chinese or Eastern Asian. I mean, that's something that goes everywhere. It doesn't matter where you are. Everybody wants a good feeling when you walk in and the way you just described that, I thought was pretty fascinating, but you mentioned, you know, you mentioned the couch, you mentioned uh, the light bulbs, you mentioned lamps, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the far corner of the room and the brightness. I mean, that stuff, like if you're listening to this, go back and listen to that again. Take notes on this stuff because these are minor tweaks. I, I had two questions. One, first one is you you said, I like to be able to see the floor. I like an open feeling, but you also said I like a lot of seating they don't seem to go hand in hand. If I need a lot of chairs or couches, how do I get the open floor? Explain that. Okay, well, you know, you can only do what you can do, right? So one of the reasons, but in New York right now, I don't know how it is outside the city, but in New York, um, sectionals are very, very popular right now because they take up less space and provide a lot of seating, right? So you have a corner sofa, and often what I do when I want a f- more feeling of space is I have the sofa back and open. So you're walking in and looking at the sofa when you walk in the door. And that provides like a, you know, a lot of seating. If you look at the photos on my website, you'll see that a lot of them do have this kind of an arrangement where you walk in. You see the sofa, and it's not cutting you off. And so I figure out a place to put the television or whatever so that it works. If you I don't, I don't think as an agent, you can come in and buy another sofa or have them rent another sofa unless they're really into it. So you just try to create with what people have, you try to create um, something, you know, maybe they don't have side chairs and maybe they have one sofa and they have maybe a side chair and maybe there's a place for another side chair and you can maybe bring in from another room or from, um, it really depends, or maybe even from the dining rooms, there are extra chairs. You can create like a little seating area with two chairs on a table in between, for example. Um, it really is going to depend. I mean, I often work with whatever furniture I have that's in the, in the space. But so it's just the idea of having as much seating in the living room. And when I say floor space, if you want to see the floor, I just want to be clear. It's not seeing the actual floor. It's actually seeing just, I mean, you might have carpet or you might have carpets, you know, rugs, I should say. So it's just about seeing, you know, having a feeling that there's space when you walk in. That's really the more of the idea than actually seeing the floor itself, just to be clear. So that's good. And and um, so I wanted to ask you, when we, as you're describing all of this, you know, you mentioned you have a closet full of stuff. Yes. What do you what do you recommend that because I don't know that a lot of real estate agents, I'm not sure that kind of have their own arsenal of stuff. And if, <laughs> and if somebody doesn't, or they haven't thought about that, 
what is like, what are like the, the four or five key pieces of, of, of staging elements that they should have at their disposal for, you know, to do what you're describing? Right. Good. Good question. Well, you know, well, let me start by saying one thing about this. You have to be very confident and this is going to be a little tough for people in the beginning, because if you're not used to, you know, now agents go in and they feel almost shy about saying anything to the seller about their decor or what they need to do. And if you're not used to that, I understand that, but take it from someone who has learned the hard way, because when I've tried to sell things that don't show well in a less than brilliant market like this, it is tough. So I go in and I, I usually start by saying, um, you know, I want you to get the best possible price. That's so important to me, right? So, because you, you need to prepare before we get to the staging items you need, you have to convince the seller that this is a good idea, right? So I want you, I, my goal is to get you the best possible price. And I think, I think it would help if you did these few things, like you declutter here, declutter there. And I have some things I can bring into enhancing. You have to go with how that person feels. Some people are so in love with their decor that you're that they're you're going to feel like you're insulting them so you have to be a bit sensitive to that and you may not be able it may take a while to win them over or it may be something that's on a second conversation that you have with them and i'm saying this because it's easy for me to say i can bring things in i'm so confident that i have a way of doing it with people i just say this is the way it is you can do it this way we can we can get you a better price if we if we do a little bit of staging or you can do it the way it is and the price will be this, you know, that's how I do it. So I say, I'm open to either way. I'll sell your home the way it is. But if you want to get the best price, this would be my recommendation. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So you have to sell it first. And, and that's very important. And so that shows how good you'll, the more you do it, the more confident you'll become because you'll see how good it is, relatively speaking. So what I have that's the basic stuff in my arsenal are pillows that are popular right now that are very i mean good places to get them are places like home goods if you have home goods or tj maxx or because they're very inexpensive there but i like to add color to a room without being overly done i like to have off-whites so i'll have off-white set of just plain off-white pillows and then i'll have pillows that might be a turquoise blue or even a sort of a nice i don't want navy blue it's too dull but something that might be not a royal blue, but a a little bit more of a lively blue. And then um, orange and red are colors that um, you can see I'm wearing red today. Orange and red um, are used in marketing. You know, if you, you know, Campbell's soup, let's look at that for a minute. You know, these are um, colors that excite people, right? So when you walk into a room, if you have something orange or red, it has to fit in the room. You can't just put orange or red in a place and have it look weird. But if you have something or orange or red that's in a room at a distance, I will go directly to it. And what's nice about that is it sort of excites people. It makes people, if you ever look at a photo and you see orange or red, you'll see kind of, you kind of light up a little bit. Hmm. And the same holds a little true about like a turquoise blue or something like that. So these colors are very important. Yellows are okay if you have the right yellow. But I would go with those sort of color tones, oranges and reds, turquoise blue, sort of brilliant blue, maybe green. It really depends on what style is like in your area. But these are colors that I think are really important. So you get a few pillows of each, just have them 
Or when you see a place, go buy the pillows and then take them back when the place sells. The other thing I have is a lot of fake flowers, <laughs> silk flowers. Mm -hmm. Right now, I just bought a bunch on Lamps Plus. They have beautiful orchids. They're fake orchids for not a lot of money. But Home Goods, TJ Maxx, places like that do. I try to get the most realistic looking ones um, because I like to bring them in a home. The same holds true for, I mean, on Amazon, I get some fake trees that are not very expensive. I don't really have them because I don't have as big a space to keep them. But if you have a garage, you can do that or a, or, or a basement, you can do that. And then the other thing that I um, bring in is lamps. I do actually carry some lamps because uh, both the standing lamps that I mentioned to you from Amazon, which are very reasonably priced, and also lamps for side tables. Because, I mean, I just went into an apartment. She didn't want a stage. So we brought in two side table lamps. We brought in a piece of art because I have art as well, but that's just because I've been doing this for years. And we brought in uh, a Mongolian lamb pillow. You know what those are. Those are, you know, they sell them at West Elm, but you get them online cheap. And we just, and we put in a few more pillows on the bed because we'd like to have a beautiful bed. Um, and that was it. We sold the place in like a week. You know, we, we sold it right away. But I know it's a good market, but it's not as good a market here as <laughs> it is where you are. So does that help? Yeah. Bit? No, I, I totally. It's not, this is not a topic. This is not a typical uh, conversation topic. And like I said, I think, I think most, most real estate professionals opt to hire a staging company. And oftentimes it's not obvious. You're, you're proving it's not necessary uh, because you can just make some minor tweaks that can make a huge difference. And almost like a psychology, like in understanding that reds and oranges drive a different sense of emotion uh, when somebody walks to the door and it catches their eye. I think that's, I, I think that's fascinating. I'm, yeah. I've learned something I can tell you if nobody else learns anything I did. And that's, that's uh, okay. Well, that's good. <laughs> absolutely. No, I think this is really cool. So let's, let's shift. Cause I know you have another, you have another topic that you are an expert at, which, you know, I mentioned, obviously we're talking about staging, which is less of a relevant topic today, but it does matter. It will always matter. And it's going to matter a hell of a lot more when the market normalizes. Right. Uh, right. But the art of negotiation, however, is insanely prevalent today. It's probably more important than ever. It will always be prevalent in our business, but it is a hot topic. And it is something that you mentioned is something that you'd like to talk about. You obviously have an expertise in it. So tell us like what makes, you know, your skill set, or what should somebody, what can someone learn from you about negotiating when between a buyer and seller? Right, right. So um, I should start by what I told you, which is in New York, it's a little different than the rest of the country because I know people present written contracts to the other agent and then it gets, you know, another contract gets written back of a different, a different price and when it's signed, it's signed. But in New York, we do it more verbally. We do have some things in writing, but we end up sending it to an attorney. I mean, we have a, not an easy job here because everything gets done by attorneys after we've negotiated an entire deal. And, and then we have to do a whole board package on top of it. So it's a pain in the neck. So we really need to make sure that a negotiation is a very good negotiation and one that sticks. So um, I don't, you're going to have to translate to how it will work for your, your area. And I don't, and so right now, again, negotiating skills may not be all that necessary because all you do is get the listing and it sells because it's very hot. But when that doesn't happen and you get a negotiation and 
Um, in New York, we get people negotiating, you know, we can, they can come 10% off the price. They don't tend to come very close to the price. So uh, not always, sometimes they do, but it's not so common. So I am a big believer in talking with people. You can tell I'd like to communicate. <laughs> and I don't like what is happening today, which is that there's a lot of texting back and forth in our industry and a lot of emails. And you don't know anything about the buyer. I mean, you know your seller if you're representing the seller. Or in your case, if you're representing a buyer, you don't know anything about the seller. And it can make a difference. So when before I negotiate, let's say if I'm representing a buyer, I will, and again, this may or may not be relevant to your area to your specific location but i think it does bear relevance i think um if you have a seller a buyer rather and before you put in an offer let's say it's not as great a market it is now i would call up the agent and find out a little bit you know say you know have you had offers what's going on you know what's happening find out about what's going on in the listing and find out a little bit is a seller you know tell us can you give me any information now you may get resistance if this is not a normal course of action but again, confidence and you know, understanding why you're asking for it will give you confidence. Because the more you know, the more likely you're going to be able to reach a deal in, and more you'll be able to prepare your buyer as to what to expect. Because setting an expectation, I see us as negotiators, as people who guide people. I mean, we could be a messenger and just say, just put in an offer, what is your offer? And don't even guide them, right? And that happens a lot. And then the agent will send it in and the other agent will send something back and you know nothing about what's happening, nor do you have a roadmap. So the reason that I think I have more success than others, one of the reasons is that I'm very clear about what I want to see in a negotiation. I wanna know who the seller is if I'm representing a buyer, or I wanna know who the buyer is if I'm representing a seller. And I want to know, you know, sort of, I want to prepare everybody's mindset. So I need to prepare I'm, let's say I'm representing this buyer and I learn from the agent that's, that the seller is not very negotiable and they've already had offers at an X price, I know how to prepare my buyer. So I'm going to prepare my buyer in a certain way based on that information. And I'm going to think about where they should start, right? I'm not, going to, I'm not necessarily going to let them, I mean, maybe they'll tell me where they want to start and maybe they'll insist on it. I have to see what I can do to convince them if they want the property, but I want to have a roadmap. So let's say it's a $500,000 property or a $300,000, let's start with $300,000. And someone wants to then put in an offer of two seventy, dollars which is 10% off. And you know, right, that, the, that they've already had an offer of two eighty. dollars Well, that would be silly to put in unless it's been a long time and they mess it. So you want to have a roadmap, like where do you think this needs to end? Where, where is it the right value for your buyer and the right value for the marketplace? And, I, and you've got to think about where you want to guide each party. And you, have, you can have an influence, you know. Half of what we do is influencing people. That's why also social media is very important. So if we have an influence on both our buyers and our sellers to get them to a number, provided that the seller wants to sell at a proper at a price that's within market, and the buyer is willing to pay a price within market. If you don't make that deal, then you're not negotiating well. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you need to know what both sides are thinking, create a roadmap, and in my mind, prepare people, prepare people's mindset, guide people, 
and have a roadmap in advance of doing a negotiation. I have done complex negotiations, things that are, you know, things you can't even believe. And it's all because I have a roadmap and I get derailed, but we come back, you know, that's the sort of thing that if I can give you those pieces of advice, those would be the pieces of advice I would give you. I love it. I love it. And and as we as we kind of wind down and, and, and kind of wrap up uh, with timing, what is what would you say, you know, talking to uh, maybe a less seasoned agent, yes. you know, what, what would be probably the most important piece of advice that you would would give when it comes to negotiation? Because I think I think a lot of people just lack confidence when it comes to right. negotiation. Right, so, right, right. you know, how how would you how would you advise someone through your 37 years of experience, uh, you know, to to be able to just overcome that and be a more you know strong negotiator uh, on behalf of their client? Right. Well, it's a good question. Um, I, I mean, I think if you can find an, also somebody who might help you, like a more experienced agent or an inexpensive coach or some sort of a coaching thing you can listen to, it would be helpful. Because I do think, you know, and I also am a big believer, and this is tough, because I was a young agent and I was intimidated and I was inexperienced and I remember those times. And I did have my, I was very fortunate because my husband actually is a coach. And he's an expert negotiator. So um, he helped me along with all of this. And what he would do, if you can get someone to help guide you and help put words in your mouth, this will be very helpful. Even I don't know if you, if you have expert negotiators in your area or if you have a sales manager who's particularly good at negotiation. But if they can get you to um, understand how to talk to someone to advise them. Remember, the one thing that really helped me is that I felt very clearly that I wanted to do the best I can for whoever I was representing. So everything I told that person was in my mind, in their best interest, based on what I could tell. Does that make sense? Are you yeah. Do you follow what I'm saying? Sure. That helped me with confidence. It wasn't, I never came from the place, and this is something that's very important, that I needed the sale. And this is what I tell my agents. If you need the sale more than the seller or the buyer needs the sale, you're all, you're going to fail. Or you will, I'll say you're going to fail. That's incorrect. You're less likely to be successful. What I feel is that if people feel that you're there for them and you're on their side, you will, your, your confidence level can increase. And even if you have to speak words that are uncomfortable for you, if you have somebody guiding you and saying, this is what you need to tell them in this way. I know in the beginning it might be uncomfortable. I know it. I can tell you I have said to many a buyer, I'm just going to tell you this, and I said, I said to many a buyer, even if they're not my own buyer, you're starting your negotiation too low. I need you to come back and start higher, and this is why. Okay? How simple is that, right? But it's hard for an agent to say it, right? But I have to tell you that I would say at least in, you know, in this market, it's different. But in past markets, I would say at least 25% of the time, I'm saying that to someone. Mm. Because why am I there if I'm not guiding people? Mm -hmm. Why? Where's my value added? Do you see what I'm saying? 100%. And if you look at it from that perspective, it may help you be a little bit more confident. But I think... In the beginning, it is hard. I don't want to kid you. You will feel uncomfortable. 
I assure you, you'll feel uncomfortable, but I also assure you that the more you do it, if you are open to growing, it will become like second nature just as it has become with me. And I hope that's helpful. Absolutely. No, it's just been fantastic. So if somebody wants to connect with you, uh, they want more than what we can give them today within our time. What's the best way to connect with you? Well, I have a website, dianacorey.com. That's D-E-A-N-N-A-K-O-R-Y.com. And I also, um, you can send me an email, which is either info at dianacorey.com or my Corcoran email, because I work for the Corcoran Group, which is D-E-K at Corcoran.com. And that's C-O-R-C-O-R-A-N.com. And I'll try to get back to you. Just bear with me. I am exceedingly busy, but um, I'm happy to answer questions. And I'm happy to, you know, obviously help anybody out in any way I can or help anybody out in terms of um, if they're, they have a New York seller or buyer, of course. But in any event, I hope that's I love awesome. it. I love it. Very, okay. very last question in closing. You know, you do come with a lot of experience and you did mention that you have evolved and, and embraced social media. So for anybody who's in a similar vein as you, what is the advice that you would give to them as it relates to, you know, innovation and technology and social media specifically? Social media, social media specifically is still hard for me to this day. <laughs> so for those of you who are having difficulty with it because of self-promotion, which we talked about a bit, mm-hmm. um, I get it. And I do say, and I know this is the big catchword these days is authenticity, you know, that you need to be authentic. And um, I believe that even through my own newsletters and everything I've always written, as I mentioned. And so I do think that authenticity is very important. I do think you have to be, I mean, I still think even being authentic that you do need to um, put your best foot forward and you do need to be real. But I, I think it's important to be out there on a regular basis. I mean, part of marketing is just being present and out there. The more you're out there, the more you're, I think providing information and giving advice and being real. Now I have a social media page in Instagram on all the platforms for my team because I have a team and then I have a personal one and I mix them a bit, but I do mostly personal on my personal and I do mostly business on my business, but I do mix a little because it's more interesting to people and that's how I've chosen to do it. I just wanted to keep it a little bit separate. And because I have a team, I like to promote my team members as well. So does that help a little bit? Absolutely. No, I think it's, I I asked because I think it's great to get all perspectives and everyone needs to hear that. And everyone needs to hear that somebody like you, as successful as you, uh, you still even struggle with it. And so it's okay. That's normal. Uh, (laughs) But at the the same token, you, you've embraced it and you've said, listen, I'm not great at it, but I'm going to go after I'm I'm going to attack it because I have to. And um, I think that's great to hear. So Deanna, thank you so much. Uh, once again, you know, you, you, if you didn't catch where to find her, of course, DeannaCorey.com is a website. Uh, she's with the Corkin Group out of Manhattan, New York. Uh, absolutely check her out. And if you didn't write down notes about some of the tips that she gave when it came to staging, I thought that was incredible. I thought that was very helpful. Uh, and I think the just the, the, how deep you went with the psychology behind some of those, some of those tactics were, were, were incredible. So thank you so much for sharing with our audience today and I uh, hope to stay in touch. Likewise. Thank you. 
Today's episode is brought to you by ZBuyer, and ZBuyer offers an unparalleled home buyer and seller lead generation service. It's made by realtors for realtors, which is kind of the cool thing. Since 2003, ZBuyer has been continually perfecting state of the art lead generation pathways. In fact, I've been using them since 2009. And ZBuyer brings motivated home buyers and sellers to you virtually. Visit zbuyer.com forward slash LCA to see how ZBuyer can help you close more deals in 2022. Podcasts.